Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. And let me say a very pleasant good afternoon to you. And I, and I, I don't often do this, but I must chide my my uh, friend, colleague, and engineer, Nate. I mean, I, Nate, I don't go running up and down the hallways yelling your name. This is like, this will be a dated remark, those of you that remember, call for Philip Morris. I don't yell his name in the hallways, but some for some reason he expects me in here, in the chair, five minutes after five, 30 years doing this, they've never started the show without me even once. Well, it's because I yelled to get you in here. Is that <laughs> Well, you know, you got to keep the riffraff in line, so keep up the good work. Good afternoon. How are you? All right. Now that that bit of housekeeping is over with, great to have you with us here on the Tuesday is it really September 21st? This is the first day of spring. I mean, a fall, right? Isn't it? Yes. Got to be. The 22nd. Is it the 22nd? So the final 22nd is the fi- first day of fall. Okay, so this is the final day of, of uh, summer then. <laughs> yes, it is. Okay, enjoy it while it lasts. <laughs> My goodness, it just seems like yesterday we took the Christmas tree town, and we should have left it up because it's almost time to put it back up again. All right, much to talk about. On today's program, getting down to a serious case, a little bit later on, we're going to talk about the crisis at the southern border, a crisis that really has never uh, abated. There have been moments when it's eased, but let's face it, we're a magnet for hurting people, and a border of over 3,000 miles is very difficult to control. I don't care how tall the wall is. So there's a current crisis that seems to be getting worse and worse, and uh, much of it most recently spurned on by the terrible earthquake in Haiti. So we're going to talk uh, talk about this topic tonight, and, uh, and and just what of the handling of all of this, not only by the administration, but you've probably heard about or seen the footage of the Border Patrol agent on horseback, essentially using the reins as a, a whip. Uh, which just seems wholly inappropriate. But we'll get into that conversation a little bit later on in tonight's program. We'll be joined by syndicated talk show host, best-selling author Bob Zadek on that topic. To lead off, this is another one of those, if it wasn't 2021, um, I, I probably would think this were a story that originated with The Onion or The National Enquirer than legitimate news. But here it is in the United Kingdom. A court has decided that children under the age of 16 can indeed take puberty-blocking drugs without a judge's approval. 30 years ago, if you'd made a statement like that on the radio, they'd probably run run you out of town on a rail thinking this guy has completely lost it. And yet this is the new reality in which we live that um, gender dysphoria, which is a real thing, and complete, utter lack of responsibility by judges and lawmakers, which is also a real thing, just seems to be entirely out of control. Let's get the latest. Brad Dacus joins us now. He, of course, is the founder, president of the Pacific Justice Institute, a constitutional lawyer in his own right. And, uh, Brad, i got to tell you, it just seems to get pushed further and further out. At what point does any of this ever get to be considered child abuse that you're allowing a child 
who has barely figured out who they are, let alone what they want to be when they grow up, the ability to make life-altering decisions without the benefit of supervision of anybody, and of course, parental rights, well, you know, the heck with that. It's unbelievable. Yeah, it really is. You know, the lower court in the UK decided correctly and and said that uh, that minors had to have the consent of their parents, uh, that, uh, you know, that they can't just have this kind of a procedure done on their own. Uh, but the appellate court reversed and said, no, um, you know, if, if a minor... Someone on the age of 16, say a 12-year-old, a 13-year-old, wants to have a puberty blockers, uh, no problem. Uh, they can just go ahead and get that. Uh, you know, if they can find a drug somewhere, if they can find a doctor willing to, to give it, which right now we have doctors all over the spectrum. We have some some that are just radical leftists that are uh, will give this kind of stuff out like candy. Uh, as long as they can find a doctor, then they can alter their destiny without parents even knowing about it. And we're talking about permanent long-term consequences uh, for a child who uh, has uh, likely has gender identity dysphoria or confusion and really needs a counselor, uh, not, not drugs. And that's just it. I mean, once you reach the age of majority, let's face it, many of us throughout life have, have uh, pulled some pretty stupid stunts and made some unhealthy choices. I would would most certainly include myself in that list uh, over low all of these 39 years. <coughs> uh, but to, to think that you're essentially unleashing the power to make life-altering decisions to a minor under the age of 16 that has no benefit of oversight whatsoever. In other words, the parents can't interact or inject themselves into the scenario, even though they're the parents. Not even a court can say, hey, you know, at least we want to make sure that there's enough level of maturity here in this child to make a decision of that sort. I I just, again, you know, if a child is struggling with those issues, um, provide counseling. If they reach the age of majority and they are uh, insistent upon proceeding with said life-altering decisions. Well, we may not support it, but that's their right to do so. But a minor? I just don't understand. Right. Where, where is the disconnect here, in your opinion, Counselor? And this is not just a U.K. topic, because we've got similar uh, ridiculous issues here in the United States. When does this, if at all, ever move into the territory of child abuse? I mean, at what, you know, the, the, do we someday say, well, you know, children at that age, I mean, you know, listen, if they want a drink, they ought to be able to have a nice, strong drink. I mean, at what point do we, do we say there are certain things based on your age that that we just won't permit until you reach an age where you can make those kinds of decisions and deal with the consequences as an adult. Why have we not crossed what would appear to be a logical barrier that says, wait, we've gone too far? Yeah, I think what's important for people to remember is that minors are not developed. That's why they're called minors. Their brains have not developed uh, completely. Uh, they have difficulty thinking through long-term consequences uh, and in fact, those who have gender identity dysphoria at that stage in life, uh, the majority of those actually work it through and no longer have that dysphoria by the time they finish high school. So to allow them to have life-altering decisions without the, the mental and cognitive capacity 
and without the probability that it's even going to be what they inevitably would have wanted, um, is ludicrous. Unfortunately, you alluded to already, uh, you know, we are, Craig, we already have this happening in, in states across the country, and we at Pacific Justice Institute give emergency counsel for parents facing this kind of situation. We had one in, we had more than one in California where social workers were taking the child, minor child, from the parents so that the government could allow, have that child, have that procedure. We saved one in particular who, who later on said, gosh, I'm glad, I'm glad Pacific Justice, you know, saved me and got me back to my parents because I changed my mind. I don't want to change my gender after all. Um, so this is very real, impacting lives in very long-term ways. And those that do go down the, that path, unfortunately, it's a very dark path uh, because uh, they have 19 times the suicide rate than the average person. So this is not a, a minor thing. This is a major, major humanitarian compassion issue that uh, that people of faith, that Christians, must not disregard as, as something we can ignore. And we really re- need to be protecting children, and, and quite frankly, at that age, protecting them from themselves, because they get ideas in their head, they're exposed to certain things in the media and, and elsewhere, or social media, etc., and, you know, they, they may, in, in that developmental stage, where there's some level of confusion and hormones raging, etc., etc., uh, draw a conclusion about themselves, which ultimately may be determined to be wholly erroneous, and yet at that early age, you start to go down that road, you oftentimes make irreversible decisions, and I would equate this to, you know, yeah, I guess if you if you opt to cut your arm off at the elbow, yes, I suppose you can be fitted for a prosthesis and, and, and kind of be able to go on with life, but it's never going to be the same. And I think the same thing is true of this. Uh, you know, uh, personally, I don't understand it at any age, but at the least to say you've reached 18, you can vote, enter into a contract, you're an adult, you can make adult decisions and, and also deal with adult consequences. But we're not saying that here. We're saying that children are going to be permitted to make adult decisions with no adult advice or, or, or consent whatsoever. And if in the process of making that life-altering decision, uh, they ruin their lives, well, that's just too bad. I mean, the, the, the utter lack of compassion and understanding or the, the willingness to protect the vulnerable which is what I would the class I would put children in, as you say, they're they're not developed mentally, emotionally, physically. They're in that process. We're doing just the opposite of protecting them. We're actually making them more vulnerable, and then standing back and justifying it on the basis of what live and let live. I mean, I I really don't understand the logic behind it. Yeah, you know, sixty minutes actually did a, a special. This is sixty minutes where they interviewed young people who were, were pushed and said, "Oh yeah, change your gender." have this procedure and they and they're, and they're looking back saying wait a minute where was the counseling uh, we made a mistake this was not this is not what we thought it was going to be uh, this is and 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 I'm really, I salute 60 minutes because usually I don't I don't salute them but uh, <laughs> they had the boldness at least to interview kids that have been victimized by this whole process this radicalism uh, that we see in America and um, the question is, how many more victims do we have to have before America says enough is enough? Uh, humanity, civility, compassion dictate us uh, to bring this to a halt. And let's just hope that the United, the UK uh, Supreme Court uh, sees this common common sense and reverses the appellate court decision. One of the greatest sources, certainly in my life, of wisdom and insight 
says that you should train up a child in fear, respect, admonition of the Lord. Train up a child in the way he should go, she should go. And this seems to be just the opposite advice. Just let a child do whatever they want. And the consequences be darned. And I clean that up for the benefit of radio. It's unbelievable what is being allowed to happen. And and least you think that this is just nonsensical in the United States. This story, might I remind you, is out of the U.K., where they apparently have a significant disconnect from uh, a sense of, uh, of uh, protecting and mentoring children as well. Well, let's, let's hope that uh, ultimately uh, the uh, greater minds will prevail here. It's, it's really tragic what's happening. Brad Dake is constitutional lawyer, founder, president of the Pacific Justice Institute. We appreciate that update. Shocking stuff, really is. All right, 518, let's get you an update on traffic. This report is sponsored by Insperity. In San Francisco, south on 101 at the 8101 interchange, uh, we have a two-car crash with unknown injuries. It's blocking the right lane. Traffic had a stop from the Octavia Fell exit. Still working a four-car crash on the richmond Rafael Bridge. It's westbound around mid-span and in the right-hand lane. Traffic stopped from the Richmond Parkway. In Castro Valley, a two-car crash eastbound 580 at Castro Valley Boulevard. That's been cleared from the right-hand lane. In San Leandro, a couple of cars have collided. Looks like a fender bender. Northbound 880, just past Marina Boulevard. Emergency crews are there. That's traffic. I'm Michael Ben. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. There is outrage developing across the country over images that reportedly show Border Patrol agents on horseback using the reins of their horses to whip Haitian nationals who attempted to cross the border in Texas. Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas says that will not be tolerated. We commenced an investigation at my direction immediately. I directed that the Office of Professional Responsibility be present on site in Del Rio 24-7 to ensure that the conduct of our personnel adheres to our policy. And we look forward to learning the facts that are adduced from the investigation, and we will take actions that those facts compel. Here we are yet once again, and this topic seems to be as old as the hills. In fact, I think the issue of borders and immigration has been a hot topic that wholly has been, how should I say, mismanaged for more than 40 years now. And while there have been certain attempts, whether there's talk about somehow opening a pathway to permanent residency, up to and including for some citizenship, or trying to close down the borders uh, vis-a-vis the last administration, uh, none of it seems to really be a permanent solution. So what do we do about this? Are we asking the wrong questions when it comes to border security and immigration? Let's get some insights now by syndicated talk show host and best-selling author Bob Zadek. Bob is heard locally here in the San Francisco Bay Area Sunday mornings at 8 o'clock on the Bob Zadek Show, the longest-running libertarian program of its kind anywhere in the nation. We invite you to tune in again. That's Sunday mornings at 8 a.m. Bob's passions include American history, entrepreneurialism, libertarianism, and of course, he is a significant expert when it comes to the historicity of the United States Constitution. We're always pleased to have Bob join us on the program for these often difficult and certainly compelling 
conversations. And uh, certainly this is a difficult topic, Bob. Our hearts go out to see the, the pain on the southern border. And we know, of course, a lot of the spurn most recently on by the earthquake in Haiti. People are trying to escape and find a better place. And uh, it's, uh, it's a challenging issue, to be sure. I have to wonder, though, has our approach to this issue of immigration and the borders, we somehow missed the mark here? Are we not asking the right questions? What, what in your perception, are some of the biggest challenges we face? Well, you asked like 10 questions, um, and I quarrel with your pronoun, um, and let me explain, because I almost never quarrel with you, Craig. Uh, but uh, you said, are we missing the point? Are we this? Are we that? There is no we. There is the total absence of we. We would suggest the public has spoken. Well, if the public speaks, they speak through their elected representatives. And the elected representatives um, take a position based upon the will of the electorate. And the president then carries out the, uh, the instructions given to the president by our elected officials, um, and the president carries them out. Um, he has a duty to carry them out. That's his job. Impeachment follows if he doesn't carry out uh, the will of the people through the legislative branch. Now, what's wrong? Well, the people haven't spoken because the legislature hasn't acted, which means we can't speak directly. We can just answer polls. If we get called late at night and somebody asks us a lot of questions, we can answer them. And that's it. We can't act through our legislature because our legislature is determined only to do one thing, get reelected and get free parking in, in Dulles, Dulles Airport and free parking in Reagan Airport. And as long as they get reelected and get free parking, they're good to go. So they don't don't act. Why? Because they were afraid they might alienate a voter, and then they blew it, and they don't get reelected. So the legislature hasn't acted. The president, therefore, doesn't have any very helpful statutes to carry out. So the president is on his own, like a cornerback uh, in man-to-man coverage. The president is out there with no instructions, and yet he's got to run the executive branch with no guidance or instructions from the legislature. So the president, therefore, wings it and reacts only to uh, the mood of the moment with no guidance. So we, I don't know if we agree or disagree, because our legislature is so stubborn and so greedy about getting reelected and so careful about never making, never taking a position that we don't get to have a say in what goes on. Now, there's Bob Zadick venting a bit, but everything I said is absolutely accurate. If it wasn't accurate, we would have legislation to guide the president, but we don't. Now, as to the should, immigration is really an easy issue if if you're guided by the Constitution, because the Constitution, in effect, does not empower either the legislative or the executive branch directly to prevent somebody from entering the country. There's no discussion 
of immigration, of preventing people from coming to the country, because the founders respected the inherent natural right of everybody to travel and to improve their lives, so long as they don't do so at the expense of somebody else. So therefore, the should, if you're guided by anything from the golden rule to the Constitution, the should is easy. We start with the undeniable correct principle of let them all in. Because uh, we have no greater right as a human being who, because of the luck of having parents who live here, we get to live in the United States, whereas a Haitian, to pick one who's in the news a lot, because of their bad luck, it happens to have Haitian parents, they don't get to live in freedom, they don't get to have a shot at trying to improve the life of themselves and of their families because of the accident of birth. Craig, that sounds to me like peerage, like when you're born into royalty in the UK or other countries, you have an inherited status, and the inherited status carries with it material benefits. If you're born and you are the child of a duke or a duchess, you start off ahead of the game. In this country, we abhor peerage. We abhor having a benefit by the accident of birth. And yet, we strongly support peerage by saying, on the other hand, if by the accident of birth you get to be born in America, you get to enjoy privileges that the rest of the world doesn't because they had the bad luck of being born in Haiti. Well, I reject that. I find it to be painfully immoral. Um, and so what should we do? We should we stop with let them all in. Now, there may be practicalities. So if it becomes just plain impractical for some core reason, not unpleasant, not we don't feel like living next to a Haitian, not we don't like Haitian music or Haitian food or anything. We, if it becomes impractical, if it becomes a death spiral for the country, which it never will, but if it does, then you stop because the Constitution is not a pact to die. It's not a, it's not a will. It's a Constitution. So we start there and then we limit it in a ways that clearly is required, not kind of better, but is required in order for the country to survive. We've never had that point in our history and probably never will. Now, lastly, we have these people, now Haitians are in the news, who what they want to do is they want a shot at, at giving some degree of a good life to their children. They want a chance to do it. Not a guarantee they're going to do it. They want a chance, which they don't have anywhere else in the world. And we say, no, you don't get that chance. On the other hand, we allow people into this country as political refugees. We give them asylum. Now, why is being a political refugee more unpleasant than being an economic refugee. In both cases, the, ref the party seeking asylum is living a crappy life, a, a terrible life that no one listening to the show would want to live. But why is one type of horrible life 
gets you into the country, and another type of horrible life doesn't get you in. I defy anybody to defend that. Now, Craig, that's the starting point, in my opinion, for this morning, this afternoon show. Well, plenty to unpack there, and I want to take a time out uh, so we don't get interrupted by traffic because there are multiple layers of issues here. Uh, Bob, number one, is is right on the money when he says that a big part of the problem here is the fact that Congress has run paralyzed for decades on this topic, as he aptly points out, for fear of offending somebody that somehow might be connected to a vote or the lack of a vote, which could turn them out on the street. So clearly a big motivating factor to act or not to act is largely based wholly on protecting that free parking spot at Tullis, as Bob just mentioned. But then, of course, there are greater layers of complexity here, and and it does seem to be directly anti-American to seemingly and without outright acknowledgement support the notion that some people are better than others— if we sat down and said, you know, on, on, on par, should we all regard each other as, as equally uh, gifted, equal talent? Sure. What we don't have are equal opportunities. And the challenge here, of course, is for some people that come from these countries. And, and let me add a quick disclaimer here before we go to the break. I've been to a lot of these countries that are attempting to come into the United States illegally, including Haiti. And I will tell you this, if I lived in one of those nations and had a family and ran up against the insurmountable challenge of trying to eke out an existence to the point where the very health and welfare of my family is at stake, I don't know that there's an honest American anywhere that would say, wear the shoe on the proverbial other foot, you would not attempt to do the same thing. I really doubt that somebody would say, well, I live in a horrible situation, my family's starving, but you know, that country's a sovereign country. I don't dare break their laws trying to get in. No, you're likely going to do what you feel ultimately is best, even though it may be illegal, even though it may be challenging, to try to better your family station in life. Now, that said, sovereign nation, you would have absolute chaos if there were no rules whatsoever. But how do we go about crafting rules that seem to be more reasonable? And is there a, an unfounded fear? Some might call it xenophobia. I don't know. But is there unfounded fears in Americans today on this topic of immigration? Largely articulated by we who are, if not immigrants ourselves, certainly the children or grandchildren of immigrants, to which I count myself guilty. We'll take a time out. We'll come back to more of our conversation. Best-selling author, syndicated talk show host, Bob Zadek with us today. Check him out online at bobzadek.com. That's B-O-B-Z-A-D-E-K.com. A time out. Back to more of our discussion as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. A complicated, a complicated and oftentimes painful issue under discussion today, and that is the whole topic of border security, immigration policy, uh, something we've wrestled with for years. And as Bob Zadek points out, uh, Congress is terrified of this topic, not because it is afraid to make the wrong decision, but it's afraid to lose votes. Bob Zadek with us today, syndicated talk show host, best-selling author. His program, The Bob Zadek Show, heard 
every Sunday morning at 8 a.m. on our sister station here in the San Francisco Bay Area, 860 a.m. The Answer. Let's get back to the conversation. Some of your calls. Michael in Novato. Good afternoon. You're on Lifeline with Bob Zadek. Hi. How you doing? Um, yeah, so comment. My wife is a former Soviet uh, refugee. She came here as a Christian refugee with her family. Um, and I, I think one important point to uh, reiterate is the United States is not the only country that refugees can uh, go to or migrate to. Um, she spent six months in Europe applying to get refugee status in Austria, Italy, and the U.S. Um, they had $200 in their pocket and uh, finally were able to get into the U.S. They actually had to go through a whole process where they had to prove that they were Christians, that they were persecuted. Um, and I have a number of friends that all immigrated to the U.S. legally from Nigeria, uh, Nicaragua, El Salvador, Guatemala, uh, Vietnam. The pers- person that first baptized me was a Vietnamese boat refugee um, who had his brother actually die on the way here. And I've got to say, the people that come here legally are the best Americans. I'll take them any day <laughs> over a lot of the you know, natural um, people that, you know, were born here or came earlier. Um, and I do think that, you know, the, the, the issue of coming here illegally, you have to break the law to get here, you have to break the law to stay here. That, unfortunately, just produces more lawlessness, I'll be honest. Um, the people that have really taken the... Um, time and the, the effort to come here legally, they end up being the best citizens you know, that, that I know, the, the most patriotic people that I know. Well, and I certainly wouldn't argue that point, Michael. I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, to a large extent, people that have a point of comparison, uh, people that come from circumstances uh, that are far more challenging, I think are more appreciative and as a result tend to make better citizens because they really understand what it is that they have. Sadly, a growing percentile of Americans today have no clue whatsoever what we have. But Bob, I want to have you respond to to the caller's point there. Uh, You know, applying for asylum, and and I'm not against that, and and I'm a strong believer in the rule of law, the challenge with a lot of these people is that the one thing that they don't have is time. Well, responding to the to the caller, and thank you very much for your comments. Uh, you said one one concept that I want to I'd like to respond to specifically because I think it's really important. You said uh, you use the phrase "people who come here legally." Um, the reason I want to focus on that is we often hear the hear people say. I oppose illegal immigrants. That's what they say. And I have a response to that, which gets a very interesting conversation going. I say, so you're, you're opposed to illegal immigrants. Which part are you opposed to? The illegal part or the immigrant part? And here's what I mean. And I'm not trying to be a wise guy. What I mean is this. Let us assume that you, whoever you are, not the caller, of course, but a hypothetical person who is opposed to illegal immigrants, I then ask them, what if it was the law that anybody who wanted to come in could come in? Would you then welcome and would you be pleased with this steady, 
healthy, large flow of immigrants with no real numerical control, every one of whom is now in here legally. Usually the response is, well, not quite, no. I say, aha, so it's not the illegal part you're opposed to, because if I make it legal, you're still not that happy. So I do not focus on illegal or legal immigrants any more that I have a negative view of somebody who exceeds the speed limit. That person broke the law. Well, but if, if so many people break the law, that means the law is contrary to normal human behavior. Nothing is more normal than wanting to improve your life. And how can you possibly be um, against or opposed to somebody whose only illegal act is trying to make sure his children get enough to eat and have a chance at being a doctor. How can you be opposed to that human being if that's the only thing they did, quote, illegal? So I find illegality in this conversation to be a terrible distraction, and we don't really get to the heart of the matter. All right. We appreciate uh, Michael the call. We'll take a time out. Back with more of our conversation. Bob Zadek, our guest today. Information about his program, resources, books, and podcasts online at bobzadek.com. B-O-B-Z-A-D-E-K.com. A time out. Back to more of our discussion as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Back to our conversation, best-selling author and syndicated talk show host Bob Zadok with us tonight, unpacking a very difficult topic and and one that seems to have, particularly as long as Congress continues to uh, refuse to really face this challenge head-on, one that seems to have absolutely no end in sight. This is this is just one of those. It's like a chain letter. It just never it never stops. And, and, and Bob, toward that end, I'm, I'm curious, you know, I, I guess the, the one way that the dialogue needs to go and has yet to ever get there, at least not in recent times, is to have a reasoned sit down sort of, you know, negotiated discussion as to, well, what is the approach here? If Congress can't agree on it. We certainly would be hard-pressed to find many Americans either, some that, that completely would like to shut down the borders, period, end of story, uh, others that would rather have no borders whatsoever. I, I think at the end, some kind of a happy medium so that there's a reasonable absorption rate and, and manner in which we, we can absorb new immigration is, is probably the best bet. But how do we get to that? How do we get this dialogue pushed in the right direction, and how do we hold Congress's feet to the fire? Um, Well, let's focus on the first part of your question, which dealt with absorption. And now, Craig, I'll ask you, for the benefit of our audience and my benefit, when you say absorption, in really simple terms, not just really simple, what does absorption mean? In that context, in that context, I would say a a a pace at which, maybe on an annual basis, that we feel as if we would be able to accept immigrants, be able to practically speaking provide for 
them to get jobs and housing, education if they have children, things of that sort. Uh, that, you know, it, it, clearly 10 people coming in is easier to absorb than, you know, 10 million. And so, I, and I don't know how we arrive at that number, I, full disclosure here. But some level or pace at which we felt that we could manage to help these people assimilate themselves into American society and all that that means. Greg, I tricked you with my question, and here's why I think I may have tricked you. You you have, I'm sure, you're a traveler. Have you ever visited what is generally called Amish country? Yes, Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania. absolutely. Have we, here's a question. Have we, the United States, absorbed the Amish? And and before you answer, you probably have visited New York City and Brooklyn. In Brooklyn, there is a huge, in Brooklyn and in other parts of New York State, there is a huge Hasidic Jewish community. In Chile, they don't, they virtually have little contact with the outside world other than they go outside of these enclaves in Brooklyn and in communities in New York State. Uh, They go out and they work, but they hold true to their way of life, their dress, their language, their everything. Have we, as you use the term, absorbed them? And I'll, I'll coax the answer out of you by saying no. They kind of support themselves, they keep to themselves, they have never become Americanized, as we use the term, they don't adopt anything in our culture, and if we accept the fact, just even to, for the purpose of my making a point, we haven't absorbed them at all, but does anybody oh, listening to this show feel threatened by that? Is America a worse place? because of the Amish and and because of all of the other insular communities that go about their lives their way, not harming anybody else, not asking for very much, just to be left alone. And does anybody feel threatened by it? And there are a lot of them, I dare say. And even if there were twice as many Amish, and um, other communities like that, and Haitians and Cubans in Miami, in a community, in, in, in all the Chinatowns around the country, in San Francisco, New York, and other places, where you walk through any Chinatown, and they are speaking Chinese, and eating foods that we wouldn't, that we might not enjoy eating, and prepared in a way we might not enjoy, and having a culture that's very different from the country at large. Does anybody feel threatened by that? Does anybody care that they haven't been assimilated? No. What we care about is don't hurt us and don't take our stuff. And other than that, live your life. And if we can tolerate all of the existing unassimilated, rather strange to many people, cultures, 
to what's this all about? Well, and, and you're, to your point, and, and I would thoroughly agree with you, and, and maybe that's a poor, on, on my behalf, a poor choice of words. I, I, it, it's not absorption in the sense that they need to be looking like me, speaking like me, going to the same church, hanging out at the same uh, country club, or, you know, <laughs> whatever people do for entertainment these days, but rather that they've had an opportunity to lay down some level of roots in which they can establish themselves to be able to care for a family, have a place to live, enjoy an education for their children, things of that sort. That's why they. That's why they're trying to come here for that. And before, in, we're running out of time, of course, as we always regretfully do. Uh, but the less people leave this show this evening feeling well. They're here to get welfare. Let me assure you that the laws in our country are pretty gust on strict. That immigrants, but for emergency room care and public education, they have no access to most of the welfare, what we call welfare programs. So to think they're coming here for welfare, it's not worth the trip. There's not enough money here for them to get other than emergency room treatment and education for their kids. So they are not here for welfare. And most studies, most studies indicate that immigrants, even if they come here with nothing, they commit less crime than native-born Americans, and they are a net economic plus. They contribute to the economy more than they take out. If you say, I don't believe it, well, you're free not to believe it, but those are the uh, objective Nonpartisan statistics. So the argument simply is wrong-headed. So just don't be disturbed by it. Therefore, what is the issue? If we have, if they can live by, they can live an unassimilated life if that's what they choose. So long as they don't harm us and take away anything, take our stuff improperly and honor our laws. The rest is up to them, and that's, because, that's how I have such an easy job of it, of being comfortable with my position on immigration. No, and, and, and to your point, and, and I want to underscore something here, because I often hear, hear it said how that immigrants come to the country and they uh, avail themselves to our largesse and our generosity and our goods and services, uh, seemingly all at the expense of America. Uh, There is a net gain, and I will tell you from personal contact with people that have come to this country, uh, i give you one case in point, a dear friend of mine who was brought here uh, illegally by his parents at the age of three. Now, I dare say that that if if caught to suggest that somebody who is now an adult uh, should be just manded back to their home country where they know one know no one have no contacts and have very little if any memory of that experience of their their birth nation whatsoever to deport a person like that who is effectively grown up as an American seems to be a bit on the silly side. Uh, this individual uh, is now in fact a proud permanent resident and do you know that i found out and i thought this was interesting even though this individual worked for years um reported in reported income had a taxpayer id number paid into not only social security but paid into 
uh, uh, payroll taxes and, 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 and income taxes every year dutifully for a long period of time, none of the money that was invested in tax paying when it came to Social Security, for example, none of it was credited whatsoever. So uh, well over two decades of working and received no credit for any of it whatsoever. Happy, though, to have an opportunity to live in the United States. It's an issue that I think we as Americans need to continue to grapple with, as we have here on the program tonight. And and believe me, I understand some of you feel as if this has been perhaps one-sided or uh, didn't get a chance to hear the horror stories or uh, the, the, the difficult stories that individual families face as they are looking at. And, you know, at the end of the day, uh, of the immigrants that I know, uh, they left the country begrudgingly, their home nation begrudgingly to come here, but out of desperation, looking to provide for their family. Are there some that have uh, less than honorable intent? Yeah, in, in every bunch, there's some rotten apples, right? But at the end of the day, this is a nation of immigrants. And at the end of the day, this nation far benefits from having the influence and the blessing of immigrants. It is a question that we need to grapple with, a solution that needs to be somehow arrived at. And sadly, as Bob Zadek aptly pointed out at the start of our discussion tonight, uh, one that Congress seems to be wholly paralyzed on, not for fear of making the wrong decision or offending people, but (laughs) simply for fear of losing votes from one perspective or the other. Bob Zadek's program, Sunday mornings, 8 o'clock. He's got all kinds of resources available through his website as well, copies of his books available, resources including podcasts, and of course information regarding guests. You can check him out online at bobzadek.com. That's B-O-B-Z-A-D-E-K. The program, Sunday mornings, 8 o'clock on 860 AM, The Answer, right here in the San Francisco Bay Area. Bob, we're always uh, grateful to you for your, your insights and uh, and the times when you come and challenge all of us as you have today. There's Bob Zadek. 601, we're a bit late. Let's get you caught up on some traffic here.